Hey everybody, my name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'll be doing the scripture reading today because Cameron is too chicken. The scripture reading today is from Song of Songs, which is sometimes called Song of Solomon. It's chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And just to make sure you know that I'm reading from the actual Bible, I brought my Bible up. So you don't think I'm reading out of some personal collection I have. This is in the Holy Scriptures, I promise. I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening, and in my inmost being yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. I apologize for any stumbling I had in that. Cameron was literally in fits of giggles like a schoolboy. I don't know if any of you all were giggling at home. But that's the Bible, y'all. So we're going to deal with that today. As I said, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm the lead pastor here at Zao. And today we are uh, wrapping up our series on wisdom, wisdom and poetry literature in the Bible. And we've been on quite the journey. I'm actually so absorbed in this wisdom series that we've been in and have been so... Um, yeah, just really steeped in it these last five weeks that I haven't really uh, been sure what's next for us. Um, and I'm not sure where we're headed after this sermon series um, ends today. So if you have ideas or comments, uh, or I'm sorry, ideas or requests for where you want to go with sermons next, feel free to drop them in comments and I will genuinely read those and take them into consideration. Um, because we've been in this place and, uh, yeah, it's just been really rich and rewarding. So if you know where you want us to go next, let us know. Um, but for now we are, we are culminating our series on wisdom with the Song of Songs. Wisdom literature as a category is, is a kind of vast collection really of, uh, writings on how to live. Big questions of meaning and philosophy. Um, there's a lot of advice in it and reflections on what it means to live the good life. So we started with Psalms, poetry about the good life, uh, which contains praise and lament, this full spectrum of human emotional experience. Longing for God and cursing God and cursing enemies and um, praising God for peace. There's a whole lot in the Psalms that, that show the breadth of the interior life of a human being. And so then we move from, from Psalms to Proverbs, which is a lot of advice for the good life. Pro tips, life hacks, 
uh, just a lot of sayings about what you can do to live a good life. And as we talked about um, when we discussed it then, it can be overly simplistic, and also there is a logic to it that says the world is knowable and understandable, and actually we have a role and a place in it. Then from there we went to Ecclesiastes, which is a kind of philosophical meditation on the order of the universe which is beyond our knowing. There's a kind of despair in it, but there's also the mystery and beauty of God and the world which is beyond us. And then last week, my favorite, we spent with Job. Job contains a discourse on suffering and a lesson on righteous anger at injustice. Gives us a picture of what it means to have a whole relationship with God that can contain our frustration and our questions and our doubts that demands an answer from God even if the only answer we get is God's presence and God saying, I love you, you are right. And so through all of that, we've been journeying in the wisdom of centuries, of millennia actually, in scripture. And we've come full circle to end our discussion on wisdom where we began, with poetry. This time, we're in the poetry of Song of Songs. Now, you may have heard a Song of Songs called that or called Song of Solomon. You may have wondered if those are two different things or the same. You may not have heard of either of these because they're not honestly the most popular book um, in the scriptures, but it should be. Um, But we're calling it Song of Songs today. I like to call it Song of Songs, uh, mostly because the first verse of the book says, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And you can understand why people would kind of mix up that, those two titles. Uh, Solomon gets credit for a lot of things, and from all we know, he had nothing to do with writing this. Uh, it's just sort of like they're attributing it to his tradition and, and that kind of thing. So uh, for me, I like it better to think about it as the Song of Songs. Um, it's actually a collection of a lot of different poems from a lot of different authors. And so for me, that helps me understand um, that it is kind of a universally owned collection. Song of Songs is a superlative. That phrase, it means um, the most songy of the songs, or (laughs) like the best song of all the songs. It's kind of like the phrase king of kings. When we say that about Jesus, we mean he's like the best king of all the kings. Also, he's the king over all the other kings. If you apply that same kind of logic, the Song of Songs is like the ultimate uh, poetry. And this poetry has uh, a subject, and that subject is uh, most literally these two young people. But broadly, the subject is sensuality and intimacy and sex, which makes this biblical erotic poetry. There is erotica in the Bible. And it's been canonized into our scripture as a good and holy part of our life together, of our worship, of the human experience, of the wisdom of the ages that we are offered in order to engage fully in our life here on earth with one another and with God. And it actually doesn't have to be sexual, even though it is definitely unequivocally erotic poetry. There actually is a lot in here about sensuality and just being present about the uh, experience of, of human senses. And so if you're ace, 
know that there is something in here for you. I know we have a lot of asexual community members. Um, the Song of Songs is for you too. You don't have to have um, any particular sexuality in order to, to really feel the wisdom and have the invitation of the Song of Songs to open up your senses to the fullness of life. It just may look a little different from you. Similarly, if you're celibate, there's stuff here for you. Um, if you're too young to be sexual or deeply sensual in a way that may be kind of adult, then there may not actually be enough here for you, um, except for silly sounding metaphors about how people's teeth are like sheep. So uh, let's just call this book of the Bible akin to an R-rated movie. It's not bad, but it is kind of adult. So younger folks should probably skip this sermon. So that leads us to the question, why is there R-rated uh, erotic poetry in the Bible at all? I mean, certainly we're beginning with the premise that sensuality, intimacy, um, sex among, among mutually consenting adults is beautiful and blessed and divine. And so that's kind of reason enough. But as we look in the history, we want to understand how it got to be there. And a lot of scholars that I respect say that this is a collection of poems, not written by Solomon, but collected across, um, across the culture and put together to celebrate um, intimacy. It was used a lot at wedding ceremonies, but it was also used at like lounge acts. Um, even after it was canonized and made scripture, people would do it at like basically banquety burlesque show type experiences and so that made a lot of people really mad but it still happened because it's hot and so they were singing these songs and performing this poetry um, as a way of kind of body entertainment in addition to um, holding these scriptures as holy in religious ceremonies of marriage and intimacy and partnership and uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, I actually was talking to my sister, Mara, many of you know her, um, and Mara was talking about a friend who had picked uh, a passage from the Song of Songs to be read at their wedding and invited Mara to read. Now, Mara uh, is a great scripture reader. She reads with feeling, but if you give her porn to read, she's going to read it with feeling, and so she read it at this, uh, this ceremony, and afterward, people were like, oh my, that was quite the biblical reading. And uh, as she told me, her reaction was like, y'all pick this and it's the Bible. But that's what's in there is this really powerful, um, yeah, I don't know, I just keep wanting to do this with my shoulders, you know? You feel me? <laughs> this is where I really wish the room was filled with people instead of uh, just a camera because I have no idea if you're feeling me or not. But wisdom in the scriptures um, is broad, and we have talked about the ways that wisdom has contended with suffering. We've talked about the lament and the praise, but also the struggle for meaning and um, the, the tension in our relationship with God. Wisdom has the whole gamut, though. If we're going to encounter and go to those places of suffering and loss, of meaning-making and struggle— Wisdom also invites us to go into the present moment, to be fully alive right now, to feel what's going on in our bodies, to feel the, the air against our skin and reflect on that and write poetry about it, to feel the spark, the kinetic energy between us and other people, to be drawn into that and to reflect on it, to see that that is holy and good. 
And again, that can be sexual, as it is often in the Song of Songs, or that can be romantic, or that can be merely sensual and sensory. But either way, we are invited to be fully alive, fully present, to feel the tingling of life all around us and between us. That is the invitation of Song of Songs. So the, the poems are about two young lovers, a young man and a young woman, and it's actually implied that they're unmarried. Now this is obviously disputed. There are a lot of people who have a lot of stake in these two being married or this being just post-marriage or something like that. Um, again, the scholars that I respect, that I read, and that I trust will argue that actually these are two young lovers who are preparing to be married at some point, but are not yet, which adds another interesting layer. And I, I also want to go back to the passage we read, um, because what we read has the young man speaking to the young woman, um, but then the young woman speaking to the young man, or perhaps herself. And, uh, and in that passage, we hear the term sister a couple of times. Now, some scholars who have a lot of stake in maintaining um, that sex is bad and or sex is confined to their sp the spaces that they approve of will make certain cases about this being a poem that has is related to like her brothers that her brothers are actually saying these things um i would find that deeply troubling also there's not a lot of evidence for it when he says sister my sister my bride um it's more like when when a young woman um calls a young man uh opa in korean or in spanish words like mamacita or papi it's 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 suggestive. It's like technically familial, but it is not for family. Um, it's, you know, it's this flirtatious way of defining closeness. And then it's not actually um, in these cases for people who are related to each other. And so uh, if that bums you out at all, because at first I was like, oh, uh, but then, you know, reflect on English and the way that we use the word daddy, and you'll realize that across cultures, we have a lot of stuff to work out with family and sex. But here, when he says, my sister, my bride, it's this invitation, it's this naming of a closeness that, that is so real that it has to be um, made into many different metaphors, because you can't quite capture the closeness, the longing, they feel like they're kin, they feel like they've been connected always like they are family somehow, and they're going to become family when they become married. But for now, there is just this draw. This erotic poetry is about desire and longing, about the senses as they are aroused in many ways between people. It's about intimacy, which is described in great detail. And unlike the visual porn of our culture, Song of Songs describes the fullness of sexual and sensual intimacy. It's not jumping right to the end. <laughs> In fact, the lovers are actually apart from each other for most, if not all, of this poem. And unlike, again, the highly sexualized and often objectifying um, places that our culture tends to go, doesn't always, but tends to go, this erotic poetry, actually, um, power is, is not uh, displaced here or unequal. 
there's a really clear and consistent mutuality and a mutual vulnerability among these two. In chapter 2, verse 16, the young woman says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And there is this sense of belonging to one another, of offering oneself to one another. Um, Miguel de la Torre wrote a book called A Lily Among Thorns. And if you want to get into um, a liberationist perspective, perspective on sexual ethics that really honors the Bible um, and also honors the fullness of people's sexuality, I highly recommend it. So again, that's Miguel de la Torre, um, Lily Among Thorns. And, and he, writes, um, he writes about that mutuality and he writes about offering oneself to a, a lover, a partner. And, and he talks about how you actually can't offer yourself without having full autonomy. That one of the ways that the church has really taken this in a, in a cruel and oppressive direction is when it says that that kind of ownership means authority over where typically um, in a heterosexual relationship, a man is expected to have ownership over a woman. Uh, De La Torre talks about how it's very convenient that they forget that scripture always um, describes that that offering as mutual. But he talks about how it's actually an offering that when we are intimate with one another, and I believe this is in any way, even though he's talking about sexuality here, when we offer ourselves to one another, we can only do so from a place of autonomy, a place of self-choice and control and decision-making, that we are invited to offer ourselves as an act of sharing, not as an act of, um, of relinquishing our selfhood. And so we see that all over Song of Songs, these two who are actually in deep possession of themselves, offering themselves to one another in this mutual vulnerability that allows them to have new and different kinds of experiences, experiences of closeness and connection. And again, this, in this case, is, uh, is partly sexual which is beautiful and holy and divine. And we see that and we, we draw those lessons to the other places of our lives where offering ourselves requires both self-possession and a choice to be vulnerable. And so here they, they describe each other in these uh, loving details, these graphic details. There are a lot of metaphors that don't really make immediate sense uh, to to English-speaking ears, um, or exclusively English-speaking ears, especially in our different time. But trust me, they are dirty <laughs> and sweet. Uh, there are a lot of these um, dirty, sweet, saucy, fun, uh, silly metaphors uh, as they describe one another. So the, the teeth-like sheep passage, I wasn't kidding about that. Um, there's a passage where um, one of the lovers describes the other's face and says, your teeth are like sheep. And it's hard not to, for me to read that and not go like, at least like, huh. But what he's saying is that her teeth are white and numerous, which was probably a little bit more rare in the days before modern dentistry. Like sheep, white and numerous. Online, when I was doing my kind of little preview on Fridays, I give a little... Um, live video now just letting people know what I'm thinking about in preparation for the sermon and I was joking in that comment thread that the passages about gazelles make me think that I just don't have a sexy enough imagination 
but I actually did look further into that. Um, and there is a passage uh, that talks about gazelles, and I learned that in Hebrew, the word gazelle is a homonym for beautiful. So when one lover says to the other, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, it's sweet and poetic and a way of saying her breasts are small and beautiful. Speaking of which, there is one part of this poem that's up for major debate. So this, this poem takes for granted that everything about these two lovers is beautiful and attractive and wonderful. We, as readers, in our cultural context, would be the ones to come in and say, oh, you're saying that her breasts are beautiful because they're small, or, oh, so interesting that her breasts are beautiful even though they're small. It's not, it doesn't work like that in this poem. These lovers are looking at each other and saying, everything about you is good. Let me describe it in great detail. Let me, sh let me share exactly what I see in you and assign the only judgment is that I love you and I want to be close to you. But we as readers will, will import our biases on that. And that has happened to this text over and over again. It happens to the entire Bible. It's how things get skewed is when we come in with our own judgments. A lot of times with our own prejudices and with our own systems of oppression, we use the text to try and reinforce the judgments, the oppressions, and the systems of power that we have in place. So for instance, in chapter one, there is a specific verse that is up for debate. In my version, the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, which is the one that I recommend for academic study of the Bible, um, it's, it's a word-for-word -word translation, and it's a really highly respected one. So in my version, this verse reads, I am black and beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem. There is a note there that talks about some other translations because it has from time to time been translated as black am i but beautiful and there have been anti-black racists across our entire culture who have used this passage and brought in their own assumptions of white supremacy um, and misogyny and misogynoir and used that to say oh of course even though she's black she's beautiful and that is evil. That reading of the text is evil and wrong, and it shows the ways that our implicit biases ruin the scriptures for us. That there is holiness and goodness and truth contained in this. That we can turn opposite and upside down if we're not examining the ways that the power structures of our culture have harmed us, have, have taken away from us the ability to see truth in this text. And so, we have to do the work of examining our biases and examining and understanding how the world around us has manipulated uh, our own perspective and our text, uh, infused them with things like misogyny and white supremacy. And we have to do the active work of unbraiding all of that. The text, uh, the note in my annotated version, it says, though somewhat ambiguous, the Hebrew word order in the first line suggests that the and in I am black and beautiful is better rendered disjunctively. Black am I, but beautiful. What, what the, the annotation is suggesting is that black am I, but beautiful is actually the most correct grammatically. 
And this is what's fascinating. We have to, because of our anti-blackness in our culture, we have to render that I am black and beautiful to get the true meaning because we would run with it in the wrong direction if it were literally translated. But he goes on to say, this assertion, however, is affirmative, not apologetic. The woman extols the beauty of her own sun-darkened skin. It is so important that we read with a liberationist lens, with a lens for the love of black beauty and black people and black bodies, with a lens of love for women and for women's bodies, with a lens of love for all of the folks who have been hurt by these texts, often not even because there is harm in the text, but because people will take anything they see and run with it. But here we have a young woman of color looking at her own body and marveling at its beauty, connecting with her own sensuality in all of its glory, including the blackness of her skin in the sun. This is wisdom. This is biblical wisdom. Wisdom is looking at yourself in the mirror and extolling your own beauty, especially those beautiful parts of you that the world may not understand, that the world may hold against you, but that God made in delight and joy because black is beautiful, because you are beautiful, because each piece of you, each part of your sensual material existence should be adored They should write poetry about you. And here they have written poetry about this young, black-skinned woman. And she is the voice. She is the narrator. She speaks this wisdom into our lives. Wisdom speaks from the voices of two unwed lovers. And this young woman gets the most airtime. It goes on, and in chapter 5, where we read from, it describes her touching herself for her own pleasure. A lot of people want to know what the Bible says about masturbation. You know, ditch the passage about Onan. There's elsewhere in scripture, there's a story about a guy named Onan, which really has been misinterpreted again in an anti-sex bias, in an anti-woman bias. Um, That story has been manipulated into uh, an interpretation that says that masturbation is wrong. That story is actually about a woman named Tamar being a total badass and getting uh, what's hers. It's, it's actually really great. So if you want to look that up, look up Onan, O-N-A-N, and Tamar, T-A-M-A-R. Um, Onanism is not the sin of spilling your seed on the ground as an act of self-pleasure, self-love, or connection to your body. Onanism is uh, the sin of uh, not providing economic justice for disadvantaged women. But that is a different sermon. If you really want to know what the Bible has to say about connection to your own body, including sexual connection, uh, or even just sensual connection, go to Song of Songs. Hear that passage and know uh, that even though to our modern ears and our modern English-speaking ears it may not totally resonate or make sense, that the, the piece that I read to you today is about a woman connecting with her own body, thinking about her lover and imagining him touching her. Cameron is dying right now behind the camera, y'all. I hope y'all are okay. <laughs> Maybe it is better that nobody's in the sanctuary. I, when I think about um, connection to the self 
And, and especially that word masturbation, which can be like so uncomfortable. I think actually of an episode of, um, oh gosh, what's the podcast called? Esther Perel is the, is the, um, is the person I'm thinking of. Esther is a relationship and marriage counselor. Um, she's brilliant and she has podcasted. It's called Where Do I, Where Do We Begin, I believe. Um, and she has podcasted some of these sessions that she's done with people. Um, and in, in one of the episodes that I listened to, and again, I highly recommend it. She's just really brilliant and, and distills people's um, relationships and struggles in a way that, um, yeah, it's just really holy and good. So um, if that's something you're interested in, I recommend her work. But um, she she's with a couple who um, hasn't had a very active sex life in a long time. And they used to, and they don't anymore. And, and she asks... Um, one of the members of this couple, basically about masturbation, like, do you, do you touch yourself? And this woman is horrified. She's like, no, 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 like, I don't, uh, no, thank you. Um, she would be very comfortable with Cameron right now, just fleeing the country to get out of here. And Esther kind of backs her up and says, hey, this doesn't have to be the thing that you think that I'm saying. When I talk about this, I mean the ways that you connect with your own body, which don't have to be sexual, uh, but they are sensual. And again, this is where some of our folks who are ace um, or for whom sexuality is just not your thing, like this is really where I wanna invite all of us into the conversation, that connecting with the self can be pleasure and touch in a way that doesn't have to be sexualized. Can, as Esther was kind of inviting this, this woman, can be on a way to connecting to sexuality if that's something you want. But it doesn't have to be. So she, she asked this, this person, like, when you are living your life, do you ever just kind of cross your arms and hold your body? Do you ever find yourself just kind of running your hand on your shoulder or, or twirling your hair or touching your face? Esther Perel says that these are essentially, in a good way, masturbatory acts. They are ways that we touch ourselves to connect to our own body, to feel ourself against ourselves, to feel less alone in a moment, to, to ground us. And they are good and holy. Song of Songs invites us to think about the ways that we touch ourselves, casually, without even thinking about it, or intentionally. What are the ways that you comfort yourself? I find that uh, connecting physically with my own body is really helpful when I'm anxious, for instance, or when I'm feeling really disconnected. You can do it softly. Um, you know, I think uh, giving yourself a hug is really nice. Um, you know, hand on the shoulder. Sometimes putting a hand over your heart or two is really powerful. I like doing that when I pray. Sometimes when I'm really anxious or when I see people are really anxious, I think about... Um, Grabbing and squeezing the wrists, just grabbing or knees. You go for your joints and you just kind of put a little pressure on them and you remind yourself of the body that you're in, of the moment that you're in. Song of Songs is about being present to the moment, about being present to the body. It's about affection, whether that's coming from another or from the self or from God. See, we can leave this erotic poetry in the realm of human beings and human connection, of the, of the senses um, in this very human and material way, if we want to. It is beautiful enough. It is worthy enough right there. And if we want to, 
we can do as many others have done and take this as a metaphor of the love of God. Now, the idea of God as lover, when I was first introduced to it, kind of bumped me out. It's weird. It's weird, right? Except that, actually, um, it's a really time-honored way of, of describing something describable. I first heard about it from, Sal, from the, the scholar Sally McFaig. Um, she wrote a book called Models of God, where she talks about experiencing God as uh, a, a lover or as a friend or as, as a mother, and how that changes our experience of God, how we describe God differently when we open ourselves to these many facets of God's connection to us. And again, I, it was jarring to me. I was like, how can you talk this way? But that's coming for me from a place that says, well, God is good and holy and pure, and sex is dirty and bad and wrong, so never the twain shall meet. Except that this scripture invites us to challenge that assumption and to say the love of God includes that kind of intimacy and affection that we describe with erotic poetry if we want. And actually it was the mystics many hundreds of years ago that started to take this poetry, the Song of Songs, and describe their own ecstatic experiences of divine connection. So Hildegard, um, Bernard of Clairvaux, these are folks who took, who were celibate, they didn't have um, sexual encounters with human beings, but they said, you know, this is how we describe our experience of God. I'm going to butcher this quote because I wrote it down somewhere else and didn't put it in my notes, but Simone Weil, who is a French philosopher, said something to the effect of um, chastising people for describing their experience of God um, with, with sexuality in terms of, of sexual ecstasy is like chastising a painter for using material paint to depict a landscape. We use the materials we have, we use the terms we have, the thing that we have available to us to describe something indescribable. The connection, the intimacy, the affection we have from, with, and for God is like nothing else. But for some people, the closest possible metaphor is contained in the Song of Songs, in this erotic poetry of connection, of longing, of desire, and of fulfillment. Wisdom is an invitation to explore all of this, to get in your body, to get in your body with God, to get in your body with others, to get in your body with yourself, to be present to the moment around you, to the body that you live in, to the fruits that are rich with metaphor, to the life in this very moment. And that is why it is included in this canon that says, yes, we can step out and debate and dialogue. Yes, we do want to muse on the big things, on the hard things. We do want to shake our fist at the sky and rail at God. And also, we want to caress the face of a loved one. We want to touch our own bodies and feel our skin beneath our hands. We want to breathe deeply and draw close to ourselves, to one another, and to God. This is what it means to be among the living, to be fully alive. Modern Christianity doesn't want us to go to any of those places, would prefer a muted and pleasant and polite life, but not a deeply moving one with tears and shaking fists 
and poetry and longing and pleasure and touch. That is the life that scripture invites us into. The wisdom of this scripture is be fully alive, right here, right now. Will you join me in prayer? God of the living, we pray that you would be with us in our bodies, that you would allow us to confront those deeply taught and problematic assumptions about our bodies, about sexuality, about all the things that have been used against us, though they are made for us. God, allow us to embrace whatever it is that we are and to see the beauty of ourselves as a lover would. God, we pray that we would see the beauty of the world as a lover of all things and of you. God, you do make beautiful things out of the dust. We are from dust, and we have been made beautiful in your sight. May we see with your eyes. Amen.